Much of it comes back to me in vivid, saturated memories. The manila tan of egg crate soundproofing. The putrid smells of my own waste. And the plastic taste of after-dinner mints that still make me gag. Then there are parts that are hazy, like a foggy South Shore morning. And still there are parts I don't remember at all. Sometimes it even seems it all happened to someone else. But no, it happened to me. I have the hole in my left cheek to prove it, and the cigarette burn on my arm, and the deeper scars no one can see. I would say that I didn't really know how bad my situation was until I was out of it. Like getting used to a chilly lake. You tread water, and after a while, you warm up even though the water temperature hasn't changed at all. Looking back, I can feel the icy waters. But then, I didn't have the means to take the temperature of my environment. I had only two childhood friends. I saw how their lives were. I knew that my life wasn't like theirs. I was alone, floating face down in a deadly current and didn't know it. People would say that I seemed sad, I don't remember being sad. I don't recall crying, except for after the sexual abuse, which started long before I knew the name for it. I'm trying to regain the memories, but it's hard to do after blocking them out for so long and trying to forget them. I would block them out and try not to think about them, because if I thought about it, it would happen more. If it was something that was present in my head, if it was something I was thinking about, it could happen again. If I didn't think about it, maybe I could will it away. But that didn't work. John Esposito was always in the picture. My mother, Marilyn Beers, picked up his mother in the taxi she drove. John's mother started talking about her son, who she said was part of the Big Brothers program. He wasn't actually a part of the organization, but Marilyn didn't think to check that out, since John Beers, my half-brother, needed a male figure in his life. We called them Big John and Little John, and Marilyn allowed Big John to take Little John off on play dates, to go to the batting cage, to go to his house to play video games, stuff like that. When I was older, I got to go on the outings too. I liked him. Whenever he would come see me, he would give me a toy, like a Barbie doll and a big hug. Big John's house was a toy store, candy store, and amusement park all in one. He converted his family garage into an apartment. That's where he lived. And that's where any kid with a sweet tooth and a video game habit would end up. The downstairs had two garage stalls, and then a door that led into his living room. A little further back was his kitchen and eating area, and a staircase in the kitchen that led upstairs. It was there that all the neighborhood kids would spend hours after school, up the stairs and down the hallway in John's bedroom. It was a huge open room with a walk-in closet that was wall-to-wall games, any game imaginable. Board games, toys, Nintendo, Sega. And then in one corner, he had a little punching bag hanging from the ceiling and a basketball hoop. And his room led to yet another room that had ping pong and arcade games lining the walls and another basketball game, this one electronic. Being in those two rooms was any kid's dream. 
not to mention the candy and sweets and soda. I remember he had a little refrigerator in his bedroom always stocked with cans of soda. Someone told Marilyn that Big John touched Little John in a bad way. So Marilyn said I was no longer allowed to see him or go to his house. But Aunt Linda, my godmother, didn't go along with that. She had no problem letting me be with Big John. She told me she thought he was a nice man. December 26th, 1992, is one of the heavily saturated days. My memories come back to me in dark reds and blacks, the colors of Big John's Nissan pickup truck.